Hey, it's Karen here. And before we begin, I want to take a moment to tell you about something special. After my own cancer diagnosis, I realized the importance of having a helpful and simple resource. That's why I wrote Happiness Through Hardship, a guide and journal for cancer patients, their caregivers, and friends. Like a good friend, this book will provide practical tips and resources, as well as a few stories providing hope. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed, I encourage you to send them a copy of my book. Half the proceeds also go to the Cancer Couch Foundation, where 100% of the donations are matched and fund metastatic breast cancer research. Please go to prettywellness.com forward slash book to learn more or buy directly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. Let's begin. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book, Happiness Through Hardship, a guide for cancer patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. If you've liked these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. Or reach out to us at Pretty Wellness on Instagram. We love connecting and sharing healthy lifestyle resources. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Tina Halleck and Serena Ward, otherwise known as the Mental Health Mamas. Serena and Tina have produced over 50 episodes of the No Need to Explain podcast, where they dive into topics ranging from long-distance parenting to compassion resilience. Their goal is to normalize the conversation around mental health in this messy, messy world. On this episode, we're going to have a conversation about raising children with behavioral health challenges. Serena and Tina are two bright souls, busy mothers, and clever women who provide conversations and connections to help people know that there are resources and support all around. Thanks to both of you for coming. We've got one from New York, one from Virginia, and then me right here in Connecticut. Awesome. Thanks, Karen. Yeah. Thank you so much. What a lovely intro. Mm -hmm. Well, you know how it is as podcast hosts, you research people, you listen to their shows, you follow them on social media. You almost kind of feel like they're friends because they've been in your home. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, But I want to open it up to you. Tell me a bit how this began, the mental health mamas being podcast hosts. Where did it come from? Sure. So Tina and I actually met a number of years ago through work that we did in our community. Um, And that was supporting other parents like ourselves who have children who struggle with their mental health in some way, socially, emotionally, behaviorally. 
so through that work, we, we became very close um, and connected because really there's nobody like somebody who gets you in a way that others don't, um, that, that peer support, that one-to-one. So we supported other parents um, in that way, a lot of individual support. Uh, we had some loosely formed, we don't like to call them support groups, we would gather around a book and uh, support one another, because uh, I would receive as much support from the parents I supported, um, and, and vice versa. Um, and so we did that job for how many years, Tina, did we work, think, <laughs> we work together? At least eight, at least eight, I'm going with eight. Okay. <laughs> and then from there, do you want to take over? Sure. So um, we were quietly doing our work, one family at a time. And Q global pandemic. And we thought, what do we do now? <laughs> we used to literally sit with parents over coffee. Um, and it turns out, surprisingly, that parents who have children sitting in their home learning really don't want to talk about their stuff with their kids there. So we didn't know what we were going to do. We talked about writing a book. We talked about a lot of different things. And we thought, you know what? We need to take this in a new direction. We aren't, we, we were never about we were always the listeners and not about putting all the stuff out into the world. And then we thought, you know what, we've got to put some stuff out into the world. People are missing that connection. And so, yeah. And then soon after that, so we, what did the podcast start? I think in November or December uh, of 2020. And um, soon after that, I learned I was going to move. So it was a perfect transition to this new, I, I wouldn't have a job anymore um, to this mental health mama thing, which is, it is so much more than the podcast, but really that's how we kind of launched into the podcast. So. Now, can you guys share with us, where does it all begin? When you're a parent, you're overwhelmed because you've got one, two, three, several kids and you, you know, we're calling it behavioral challenges. I, I think if you, you don't know what you don't know and the internet, I said, you know, in anything, I feel like I have a chapter in my book that's called Google is not your doctor. <laughs> I think people go there and then it sends them down a rabbit hole of misdiagnosing whatever it might be, let alone their child. Um, you know, what are some of the, um, what do I want to say? I don't think the word is flags, but when, when parents might be thinking, okay, there's something with my child I want to figure out, but where do I go? Is it the pediatrician? Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah. So I'd say what you just said there, which is, um, you as a parent are seeing something, hearing something, feeling something, that's what you need to key into. Um, I think it's part of why we started doing what we, we do because we learned so much along the way. Serena's still got a little, she's still learning and I have older kids and I'm still learning. So, um, so I would say, I don't know, Serena, would you say start with a pediatrician, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's always our, our suggestion. Um, it, you know, we really like to support parents as you are the expert, mm -hmm. right? No matter who you talk to, what you do, you know the most about your child. So trust your gut if you feel that something is off. And Tina and I actually have very different stories and I'll just share a little bit. Um, my, I have three kids. They're currently 20, 13, and seven. Um, my oldest was, was a sensitive kid, um, but like as the only child, 
you know, it was really easy to manage. And then it was when number two came along, you know, when I thought we were really great parents (laughs) and surprise, (laughs) um, this one was very different. Um, and from a very young age exhibited behaviors that we were unable to kind of do the things that you would think about a young family doing, you know, such as like going to the park, it might end in a disaster, right. Or going to eat at a restaurant, things like that, that a lot of people don't even think about. And at that time, I felt so totally alone. I really, really thought I was the only person on the planet who had a kid who was like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess part of what I would reflect on is ours started um, pretty profoundly. My child has OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, just extreme anxiety. Um, and it came on very suddenly for us. Like I can reflect back. Yeah. She was an anxious kid all the time, but who was an anxious once in a while. Right. So, um, it really was that, you know, the, the parents staring at you as you're trying to carry your crying kid into school or, you know, having to come and pick her up and the staff leering at you because, oh, she's doing those things again, right? So it was hard and I felt alone. So I think that isolation is certainly something we both shared. Um, I will also share that even though I say start with a pediatrician because I know the pediatricians where Serena is, they're wonderful and they've come a long way since mine, who's now 27, went to that same practice, right? I remember um, taking her in for a throat culture. Cause she had strep throat. I was sure of it. Cause I'm a mom and I know these things. Right. And I knew that this was going to be a bad moment. And so I was trying to tell the doctor about these things that I learned and the doctor excused me from the room and said, you're anxious. You need to leave the room. And I thought, what? Seriously? So now I'm, I'm just going to repeat that that practice no longer Uh, They have excellent trauma-informed care there, so they do not do that same thing. But but yeah, we've had differing experiences for sure. Wow, I I mean, I'm I'm shocked, but in some ways I'm not because times have changed. Mm -hmm. It sounds like I mean, and that's a perfect example of being an advocate for your Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you? whether it's sharing some stories or situations on how parents can advocate for their children in terms of their behavioral health. Yeah, I think um, one of the things we always talk about is finding those champions in your life. Because, um, you know, we, we were discussing before we started recording, I'm very much an introvert. Uh, so it's not always easy for me to sort of stand up and, um, and, and advocate for my children, but finding those people in my world who would help me do that was super important um, and is still super important. We had a, uh, you know, we're having some, some challenges currently with my teenager and, you know, looking to who are the people in her world who get her, who understand her um, and will support us through whatever we need to make everybody feel good. And often it's, 
the unexpected people. Um, the school nurse was often a huge supporter for us when she was younger because she knew my daughter and knew when she was actually sick and when she just needed a moment, right? Mm-hmm. To just hang out. Um, it could be a bus driver. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be the crossing guard. Um, it's really, you know, sometimes it's the most unexpected people who are going to stand beside you in this. Yeah, and really, I would I would say that goes way beyond us. Research shows that when kids have adversity, when they struggle, um, the difference between the child who's successful and the child who is not is literally one safe, stable, caring, nurturing relationship. And what Serena and I both have learned over time, you have a 13-year-old, is as they get into their teens, that is a hard time for them to, we know where their safe place to land. We know it's why we get some of the worst behavior, right? That we know, they, they know we're always going to love them, but to look to those people who you know are going to send the same messages you're going to send and they'll hear them because they're not listening to you at this moment in time. Um, both mine, they're 27 and 23. And I would say we, we went through times where um, I would I would set down what we thought we were going to do or say or believe. And somebody in the next room said the same thing. And I'd be like, wow, it's so good that they said that. So good that you heard that. I wish I could have thought that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, who are those? You've mentioned a few like the school nurse and, and that worked when they were younger. As they evolve, how do you whether it's help your kid find those champions for them? Yeah, that's an interesting question as old as mine are. And actually Serena has, you know, her 20 year old has had, has gone off and done things, right? Um, It's interesting parenting adult children in that parenting is still happening. Um, I would say opportunity is really what, has helped my kids find their support people. Um, As a mom, I've had to step back. You always want to be there. You always want them to know. I mean, literally, we still say to our kids, call us anytime if there's ever a thing. But there were times, especially with my daughter, um, where we'd have to not answer the phone and see what happened, right? Who, Who would she next reach out to? And that, for me, is how she found her people, right? Um, to, to really count on. And there's some steering there, right? Like, so what happened when I didn't pick up the phone? Who did you go to now? You know, really just helping them see those things. So yeah, I would echo that a lot of problem solving together with my, with my 20 year old. And there's a lot of, I don't know, right. Uh, you know, when that anxiety is high and you ask, well, what do you, what do you think you should do? I don't know. I don't know. And just sort of, you know, digging down well, what about this? What about that? Um, and yeah, teenagers are tough. I'm just gonna, <laughs> gonna say that. Um, and I think I just continue to encourage the positive relationships in my kids' lives. And, um, you know, again, we mentioned some, some different ones, but, um, you know, often there's like one teacher at school, right? Maybe they don't like all the other teachers, but there might be one teacher that they connect with and that connects with them. So, yeah. It's funny you say that because I was on a walk with a a friend earlier today. I try and do that first thing in the morning. And we were both talking about a high school teacher. Hers was an art teacher. Mine was a social studies teacher that like, 
loved us, respected us, or made us feel important, even though, you know, we weren't the smartest or the most talented, or, you know, this is our opinion on it. Um, and maybe these teachers made every single kid feel that way. But as an individual, I felt that. And so I like that you say that because I think in this, um, you know, depending on your age, I know when my son was in elementary school, like he loved all the, all, all the teachers. Now as, as he's getting a little older, the relationship changes. And, and of course, like COVID has changed some relationships too. However, you know, as they get older, hopefully I like hearing that there may be just one teacher that they need to connect with. And now did you let that, I mean, did that happen on its own or is this something again that you're coming home and are you having dinners with your family every night and talking about what went on in the day? I, and I guess the, I asked that question, but bigger, are there tips or tricks on how that you can help advocate for their kids? But you know, when they're younger, maybe they know, but when they're older, it's kind of, you know, sly. So I think it's a lot of different things. It's, um, you know, again, I'll, I'll refer to my, my teenager that when she started struggling most recently, she already has a team of people in place that has been in place for many years um, because she struggled from a young age. And so not everybody has that experience. Sometimes kids are fine, especially I would say in the middle of COVID here, we have kids who were totally fine and then suddenly weren't right. And so there's a lot of uh, unexpected um, moments for, for families to deal with. So, you know, I think, I think it's a mix of talking about it. It's uh, also leaning on those people you already have. So because we already have a therapist, you know, she depends on her. Right. And, you know, my kids, um, Tina has a different experience than me, but my kids really value that weekly therapy. My oldest um, would say, do I have therapy this week? You know, like, oh, good. Cause I need to talk about this. Um, and I don't know, Tina, if you want to share your experience, which is a little different. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we've gone in and out of appreciating therapy for sure. I've always appreciated therapy and um, I think my child did not. I mean, it was not a, it, it was good and then it wasn't good and it was when she was well. So it's interesting in the therapy world, um, they often, when you don't attend appointments, they tend to drop you as a client. And it's always very ironic to me because I know that that's right when the person needs you the most, right? Is when you don't wanna go. So um, I will report, um, my, my children have both been to therapy. I've been to therapy. I think we all appreciate it in a way that is amazing. Um, yeah, so we, we have had different experiences. And I do think I'd like to just speak to the I think in some ways we were lucky to have had this happen early on in our children's lives, because I do think it's more difficult. We've supported many parents whose children start to experience whatever, whatever it is right in their teenage years or even early twenties, which tends to be a time when, you know, bipolar might, might settle in or some pretty profound kind of schizophrenia those are hard times because your children are starting to really, it's when they want to be independent, right? And um, not really, and it, and it depends on your relationship with them. But I, I feel lucky that we, like Serena said, have had supports in place early. Even when my child did not want to go, we went, we definitely went, so. 
So, and, and I want to reiterate to the idea that if a parent feels there's something going on with their child and they go to the pediatrician and they don't get the help or the support they think they need, don't stop there. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is a tough time uh, in our community. And I think all over the country, there's a shortage of providers. Um, so there are times when people aren't getting what they need. So if the pediatrician doesn't give you what you need, try the school, right? There are often counselors at the school that might help your child. If that doesn't work, try an after-school program, maybe the coach, maybe, you know, like don't give up just because the first person says, "Mm." (laughs) I like this. Let's keep going down this direction. Like who are these resources that if you're not getting what you need from your pediatrician, go to a school counselor. Mm -hmm. And like you said, coaches, are there are there any other resources that parents can tap into if they don't know where to go? Yeah, so let me just talk for a minute in this, this, this will hopefully feed in and, and hopefully people around the country and the world will hear this because it's important. So part of the work Serena and I did, we, we did family school partnership. So it was about capacity building in parents, but it was also about capacity building in schools and schools have movements now social emotional learning movements, we're starting to appreciate the fact that it isn't all about hardcore academics. And Serena and I lived for a very long time in this very high achieving, and you probably do too, right? Very high achieving place. Um, But the idea that our children's social emotional learning is as important as our academic learning. And so that is starting to filter into schools and not only into schools, because the whole social emotional learning model is not only about kids and about their teachers, it's about their community and their families and everybody um, kind of learning about this. Because again, something Serena and I have learned, I'm talking a lot for you today, Serena, um, is that building your own toolkit for wellness as you know, is super important, right? We cannot always count on all those people outside of us to build those things. So we can appreciate that a therapist may be part of a toolbox, that a counselor might be part of your toolbox. But the truth is there are lots of things we can do, lots of tools we can put in our toolboxes to help. What are some of your favorite tools outside of the ones that we just listed when it comes to social, emotional, learning, love, wellness, however you want to call it. I think the word that always comes up for me is intentionality, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about how we spend our time and and what we do. Uh, And this goes, you know, for parents, for kids, for everybody, right? In terms of, uh, am I doing something in my day that feels good, feels good now and later. I like to say it might feel good now, but not later. And that's not good. <laughs> um, but the idea of, you know, am I moving my body so that my body feels good and my brain feels good too. That is certainly something that is hard for our kids to understand, but they see it happen when it actually, <laughs> you know, when you finally go on that walk, right. And they go, oh, you know, you kind of um, can understand how they feel better at that point. Um, you know, and, and to say that, um, when our children are really struggling, going for a walk isn't going to fix it. Mm-hmm. It might help, uh, but it's not going to fix what's what's going on. It's, it takes more. It takes a lot of tools, right, to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to solve that problem. And my answer, Serena, what's my answer? 
what's my biggest tool, my toolbox for self-care. Like, yeah. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this thing about going to sleep that nobody interrupts, no excellent show, no, uh, I, I, no, no extra popcorn, nothing. I have a, a finite line for sleep. So, uh, and I think that's something with our kids, especially when they're teenagers, right? Um, helping put parameters on that and, and, you know, helping them see the value in that. Uh, our kids did mood journals, right? I think the idea of kids doing sleep journals, um, really saying like, gosh, I was up with my phone texting all night. And well, how do you feel this morning? You know, how, how are you feeling? And how does that affect how you go to sleep the next night or whatever? And again, these problem solving things, not like here are all the things you should do. Cause we all know how kids respond to that. <laughs> well, and I think the thing we're circling around here too, is the idea that we're modeling these things for our kids, right? I think we struggle with the idea of self-care and social emotional wellness. Yet, if we don't model those things for our kids, they don't see it. They don't learn it. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I say it all the time, as you know, um, my company is Pretty Wellness. It's all about taking small steps to, towards better health and happiness. And so I changed my lifestyle significantly after my stage four diagnosis. And that meant all the diet Dr. Peppers I used to drink, I haven't drank one in eight years. Mm. I found my substitutes and my son has really grown up with that. He doesn't remember the time when he and my husband, well, actually it was his choice. They went to Target to get me a gift and it was Cheetos. I used to love <laughs> Cheetos and Diet Dr. Not Cheetos, excuse me. I did love those too. Cheez-Its. And that oh, was my gift. It was a big, huge box of Cheez-Its. <laughs> and so what is interesting is that the more you read, the more information that you'll find about how food influences our mood. Do you have any experience or can you talk about your thoughts on that? And, and again, I know this is from your expertise. I know that a lot of people have different opinions on it, but I'm, I'm curious to, to have this conversation with you, especially as it relates to our kids, because when they're five, we can tell them that that potato soup, or excuse me, that cauliflower soup is potato soup. But once they're, you know, 15, you can't do that anymore. Right. Right. So, so I will speak specifically to my personal experience with this. And um, my uh, one of my kids cannot have food coloring. And we learned that sort of the hard way. And all, you know, the FDA will tell you food coloring is totally safe, right? But I see it happen. And I learned to trust myself over the years as a parent to say that when she consumes food coloring, it makes her extra hyperactive. <laughs> like it just, I see it happen. Mm. Um, so that's just like one, one example. And I think anything that sort of dysregulates. So my kids are also lactose intolerant. Um, so even when they take a lactate, which you would think, okay, so they don't get the stomach ache, right? But still when they consume, you know, ice cream or milk, it dysregulates their system, even with the, you know, with the lactate on top. Yeah. So we worked uh, for a while in our job with a dear, still a dear friend of ours who also specializes in nutrition. And, you know, part of what we've struggled with over the years of our experience with our people um, is the whole body kind of wellness uh, issue. Everybody wants to look at one part of you and diagnose one thing or another thing. So when your child has a stomach ache and you know, 
there's nothing causing the stomach ache, but some extreme anxiety. Um, it's, you know, it's different. So anyway, this, this um, special friend of ours really helped us understand a lot of these things, I guess, not even understand, validate the fact that when I think as a mom, it doesn't have to be related to something that's scientifically proven in the Western world, right? Um, I, I don't know. It was a, it was a caffeine thing for us. We never are my, I remember distinctly the moment our daughter went to a sleepover and the mother report, she came home and literally was bouncing off of every possible springy thing in our home. And I said to this mom, so what happened at the sleepover? And she said, oh, we had pizza and Pepsi. And I thought, oh, oh my, I guess we should have said she shouldn't have had a caffeinated beverage. Um, so anyway, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And I feel like my kids grew up seeing us eat healthy. Um, I have tried to be a healthy eater all of my life, just knowing, and I, I can, we have lots of cancer in my family. There are lots of weight issues in my family. Um, so I've been very careful over a lot of years to just feed my kids well. Um, yeah. So I think they eat pretty well. Although my daughter does like Cheetos still <laughs> to this day. I don't understand it because it's never been a thing for me. <laughs> yeah, Cheetos. It was, it was for me. I, I really do believe in the value of a lot. Of, I, I believe in it. And so much of what you're saying here, I love that this whole body looking at the stomach ache may not be about the stomach. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about gut health and how it all, all kind of, um, it's not one zone it's, it's all over. And then when it comes to food, that, that was where my experience in terms of changing my lifestyle came. And again, it was to, do what I could to combat the cancer. But there are a lot of experts that believe that there is a lot of healing when it comes to moving your body, the foods that we eat, the mindful practices. These are all, I think, as, as we were saying earlier, a part of this toolkit that parents can try if they're starting to think that their kids may have behavioral issues. Now, um, or challenges, I should say. I don't know if the right if that's the right word. Uh, you know, the word issues. I think you can go so many directions in it. Uh, I, but I want to take a moment to talk about anxiety because you've brought up that word a few times, and my sense is that is something that we all in life, whether we're the parent, whether we're the kid, especially the last few years, have really honed into have maybe had more experience about it. Uh, can you talk about what some of the red flags are uh, for people who are new to behavioral challenges? Like what does anxiety look like? Not when do you need to, I, I think your point earlier about parents needing to trust their gut because they know their, their kid the best, but, um, can you talk a little bit about anxiety and some things that may come up that might uh, be those red flags? Like, hmm, I should look into this more. All right, so, we're, so star we're staring at each <laughs> other saying, who wants to launch into this? Yeah, go ahead. No, I'll, I'll take it. I, I think um, 
again, I don't know if I would call it, you know, refer to this sort of red flags, but I think anytime there's a change in behavior that, that we notice as a parent. And I think this is the stomachache is a perfect example of that. Right. Um, my youngest suddenly is dealing with stomach aches every morning before school. She's not sick. Right. You know, there, there was a, there was a week where we kind of kept her home a few times and, um, and she might've been sick that week, but then that went away. And, um, so here we are now, right. Where we're still getting up and we're still having stomach aches. And, um, so it's, it's those, it's those behavior pieces that, um, things that they used to like to do right now, suddenly, um, they, don't want to do them or they're, they're bringing up, you know, uh, reasons why they don't want to do something. Now, this is a hard time. Um, I, as you said, everybody's anxious and I think it's a natural response. My seven-year-old, um, we have a lot of, we have a lot of anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, attention deficit. Um, we've got a lot of different things going on in my family and my seven-year-old suddenly in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of virtual learning, needed to wash her hands constantly. Right. And, and so I'm thinking she's in the middle of class on the computer and she needs to go and wash her hands. So her brain is like, you know, <laughs> going a little, little uh, off target right now, but it's not that far away from what we've been saying to the kids, right? You got to keep washing your hands to stay healthy. And it didn't make sense you know, that there was no reason to, it was for her, I, I'm going to be healthier if I wash my hands. So it was like this, um, this trigger, right, for her uh, to do that. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of kids right now is that, um, you know, it's, uh, we just literally yesterday um, in our area removed the mask mandates in school. This is huge. Um, you know, these kids, my, my seven-year-old is in second grade. She's worn a mask for basically all of school. And so for kids to feel comfortable taking off their masks or to want to leave it on and feel comfortable, around it, this is a really big deal for everybody. Yeah. So I would say our kids are anxious, diagnosably anxious. And when do you know that that's the case? Because I feel like there are, again, living in a very high achieving area, it's hard. It's hard when your kid is a superstar to think about their needs in a different way like that. And I would say it doesn't matter, right? You know, when your kid's anxious, you know, when your kid's different, as Serena is saying, there's something different about them. And does everybody have to go to therapy? I don't know. Again, it's one of the tools in the box, but it, part of it, part of why we do what we do in the podcast is to normalize this for people. There are going to be times when you're anxious or depressed in your life, right? Postpartum depression is an excellent example of that. Our bodies go through so much when we birth our children and, and for months and months and months and sometimes years after that, right? So why shouldn't we have a little depression? Like our bodies are totally regulating themselves. And I think about this with teenagers. It's a question I often ask to the psychiatrist is, so how do these medications that you're suggesting to my child, how does, how do hormones affect that? How does, if you're treating her for her mood, hello, she's a teenager. How do we gauge that? Right? So I just, I want to normalize this in a way like, all right, I'm coming in because I broke my thumb and I'm curious about what the choices are. Do I reset it? Do I leave it alone? Do I, you know, like, what are the options? It's just normal that I did this thing. So let's talk about it. That's, I, I love that. I think 
the world is so complex, our lives, and because we're so connected, it's a beautiful thing that we are talking in three different locations and we're looking at each other. Uh, however, the constant connectivity has is a part of like with anything in life, it becomes more complex as we dig a little deeper with technology, uh, but it also provides some benefits as well. So I wanted to just ask, is there anything else that you wanted to share with the, the listeners who, you know, would love to tap your brain and, and leave them with something? So I'll start and just say for anybody, any parent out there who has a child who's struggling with their emotional health, um, that you are not alone, right? There are so many of us. And as Tina was saying, we're trying to normalize this conversation. So nobody needs to feel alone uh, if their child is struggling and it's just okay to need help and to ask for help. And so I would also throw out our tagline, which is take good care of yourself while you're taking care of your people, right? Because that is super important. You matter. If you cannot take care of yourself in a way that feels good, you, you're going to have nothing to get, you know, the fill your cup thing, right? Like let's fill our cups till they're overflowing and then people will get what they need from that. Right. And I will jump in there and say, it's just, taking care of yourself is not as hard as you think it is. I think sometimes we put up a wall that be makes us a little anxious. Like, oh, you know, I need to work out for 45 minutes or I don't have time this morning. I just want to grab my coffee. I don't want to drink that warm water and lemon or whatever it might be. The five minute meditation, you know, you hear so many people talk about how, oh, you shouldn't check your phone in the morning. Well, you know what? Like I love my cozy blanket. And so I do like reading the news on my phone. What I've done is I now I, I read the news a little bit and then I do a five minute meditation that actually changes like kind of my thought pattern and the energy that I connect with. So there are, and that's my message with pretty wellness for those that are new to me, it's about taking small steps towards better health and happiness. And, and I'm hoping that you guys will join me. One of the tools in my healing and wellness toolbox is tapping into gratitude and I do it by playing what I call the grateful game. Would you guys be willing to play with me? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. So for those of you that are new to me, the grateful game is something that I created with my son a few years ago. At this point, it's been almost four years. And I brought home a gratitude journal that I received at an event. And we sat in his bed and we started writing things down. And you know what? it just didn't really work for us. The light was on. It was late at night. We wrote things down. Sometimes we would forget. And so like many things in life, we took what was good out of it and we adapted it to fit our lifestyle. And so I, I see you guys nodding right now. When you're talking about a toolkit, finding things that work, maybe what your friend does or what you read in a book or what the school counselor says, don't really work with your family, but can you find a way to make it work? And so what works for, worked for us is we turned off the light, we would lie in bed together, and we would talk about what we were grateful for and why in that day, or maybe the last few days if we missed a day. And what I noticed after doing this for a few weeks was that we began to go throughout our days, both of us 
and look for things that maybe made us smile or that what we might be able to report back that what we were grateful for in that day. And as studies have shown, having a gratitude practice can help change your energy. It can help heal because again, it's, you know, as I will say with my own experience, has it helped cure my cancer? No, that it has not, but has helped me change direction in the, you know, I, I talk about it as an energy, but you can talk about it as in mood. It really does help us put one foot in front of the other when days are hard, looking at what's good out there. So I will kick it off and I'll give myself about 45 seconds to talk about what I'm grateful for and why uh, in the last day or moving forward. So tonight I actually, um, for the first time in a very long time, am going to a small event of 20 people by myself. And so my husband is going to be doing a little bit of carpool for my son's two activities. And it's always really nice. And I'm really grateful. It gives me the opportunity to do something. And and, uh, I think it gives him the opportunity to kind of connect with the kids that he doesn't always see because he's working and I'm usually driving carpool. So that's, I think, a looking forward today. Um, a piece of gratitude. Um, and the other thing I, w- I will say is I am grateful for my lipstick. This is the brand is Ilia. And no, I'm not working with them. I just, I am always looking for new um, clean and green brands because that's what I do. And that's what I love with this healthy lifestyle. And this lipstick is especially now that I'm, you know, I'm still wearing a mask, but not as much when I'm outside. And I, you know, you can see it stays, right? So as I'm showing it to them. So that is something (laughs) I'm grateful for this color, this brand. I feel pretty on the Zoom call that we're on right now. And the brand for those of you who like um, clean and green is Ilia, I-L-I-A. So I will toss it to you, Tina. I'm writing that down. I'm writing that down. That's awesome. So I would say I am clearly grateful to be here to have met you, Karen. So thank you for that. Um, It's awesome being in this world where we get to meet all these really cool people. And, um, and I would say the other thing I'm really grateful for, and I often say this is I'm grateful that my children right this moment are well. I've spoken to both of them today and I cannot always say that, right? Like somebody might not be well at one point, but I try to take those moments and say, right this minute, everyone is well. Yeah. So that wasn't 45 seconds, but you know, that's beautiful. (laughs) Well, and the way Kyle and I played it when we first, my son's Kyle, when, when we first started the game and again, make this work for you. I encourage the listeners out there having a gratitude practice can bring so much joy. And I found that when I'm having a really horrible day, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll write down 10 things that I'm grateful for in my life. You know, if your kids are older, maybe it's driving carpool and you, you, you ask them like, Hey, what are you grateful for today or this week or moving forward? And so Kyle and I would give each other two minutes and it was a race who could come up with the most amount of things that we are grateful for and why in that day, you know, maybe that works for you if your kid's competitive. All right. I'm tossing it to you now. 
Okay, so uh, on my mind today is uh, gratitude for technology. And as you just said, Karen, this idea that we're in three different states and we can connect and communicate. Um, and then beyond that, you know, so um, today I was able to do some yoga in my living room, you know, using YouTube, because there's a little bit of a snowstorm going on outside that was unexpected. I don't want to drive anywhere. Um, and, and I, you know, I could uh, wish my 20 year old good morning this morning uh, and have a little conversation with her and she's three hours away. And um, yeah, so just the ability to continue connecting in these challenging times. I know there's so much we could say about technology, but today and in this moment, I really love it. And knock on wood, it's working for me. So as we're recording this, please don't stop recording as you know, please don't when you're in this, when you're in this world of media, like we know that there, there are a lot of things that can go right. And there's a lot of hiccups along the way as well. So, um, so as we're wrapping this up, can you please tell the listeners where they can connect with you? Okay, so we can be found, our podcast can be found on any major podcasting platform, some of the minor ones too. Uh, our website is no need to explain podcast.com. You'll find our podcast there. There's also some blog posts, um, some things like that. And we're on all the socials. So you'll find us on Instagram at no need to explain podcast, on Twitter at MHMamas. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for no need to explain podcast. Mm-hmm. And we love to hear from you. So send us an email and yeah, connect, connect, connect. That's what we I, do. I agree. I love that. I am probably most active on Instagram and I really enjoy. Uh, and if you're still listening, I love when people reach out and, and give me topic ideas because, hey, as you guys know, when you're dropping a podcast episode most weeks of the year, there's you want to know. I want to know what the listeners want to hear we could talk about anything, right? And, and that's what makes this, this world, I think, um, the connectivity the makes it fun and makes it useful. So I want to thank both of you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been a conversation that I feel like we just scratched the iceberg, but that's why people can go to your podcast and they can learn more about some of your thoughts and your guests at well that provide insight in terms of uh, you know, any type of mental health, mental wellness. So um, for all of you out there, thank you for joining us today. I hope that you have a wonderful day. I'm sending you lots of love and great health and wishing you a joy. Whatever journey you're on, I, I do believe that there is a way to find a little bit of happiness through those hardships. So thanks again, everyone. And bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you could do me a favor and take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Honestly, you leaving a review really does help us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And if you tell your friends about us because you love us, they might as well. So let us know your thoughts. Please connect with us directly. We have a ton of fun on Instagram at Pretty Wellness and would love hearing from you. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you so much happiness and great health. Bye for now.